In verse 12, it says, And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witness, which said that this man ceases not to blas or speak blasphemous words against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. And all they uh, that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, uh, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Now we kind of got into this last week, this idea here of blasphemy, right? And blasphemy being something that I see as reserved toward God, right? You don't blaspheme men, you don't blaspheme buildings. And it seems to me that these Jews have elevated not only the building, right, but the man above God, or to be equal on equal footing with God by this statement that they made. And so as we get into uh, chapter 7, and let's just read there uh, the first part of it, uh, Stephen is going to give his answer. And so in verse 1, it says, Then uh, said the high priests, Are these things so? And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the Lord, or the God of glory, appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Quran, uh, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show unto thee. Then came he unto the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt at, at Charon, and from thence, uh, when his father was dead, he removed him into this uh, land wherein you now dwell. And he uh, gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set foot on it. Yet he promised that he would uh, give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him. When, uh, as of yet, he had no ch children. And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring uh, them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years. And the nation uh, to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after, they shall, uh, after uh, that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs and so he goes on and he's given this historical narrative and you're not going to when we get into that part of it we're going to compare it with some of the other ones we see in scripture and what you see here is he's laying out the purpose of what God was doing and it's going to fly in the face of these people who are elevating right elevating in a wrongful way this man Moses who was just an instrument of God that was used to deliver the law to them and to show them how God wanted them to act in this place where they're able to commune with God before there was a temple God just dwelled in a tent right uh, what does it say heaven is is my throne earth is my, my footstool what place shall you make for me this was accommodation for man there's nothing that God needs of man whatsoever. So this should have never been that Israel is elevating a man or a place to the level of God. Uh, and we're going to get way deeper into that uh, as we get into chapter 7. Uh, but he's, as, he, as they make these accusations uh, towards Stephen, uh, again, it's very interesting that they use uh, this as their method of doing so. 
And so in uh, verses 11 through 15, we see uh, the response uh, of these antagonists. Uh, sorry, I jumped to 67 again. Top of page uh, 67, and I'll go just back a second here to look at um, page 66, the message. Uh, and so it is based on lies, uh, this message of these antagonists. It's based on uh, what they say is blasphemy against Moses and God. And then uh, remember, this uh, idea of blasphemy is an active besmirching of the character of the persons of the Godhead through word or active demonstration. And so uh, I don't think last week, did we go back into the Old Testament and look at those uh, laws concerning blasphemy? I don't think so either. Okay, so that's, that's where we'll start here today, uh, and we'll look at that. So we'll go to Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 11, and let's open in a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll get started. Father, we're grateful for this day, and uh, grateful that uh, we are able to uh, look at all of this uh, on the basis of having seen other people do it. Uh, and sometimes that's the easiest way uh, to be able to watch uh, some of the mistakes of others um, in order to uh, be able to better appreciate what we have. And so we're, we're grateful for that. Uh, we're grateful for even in our own uh, uh, falling short of where you desire for us to be, uh, that you still have mercy uh, for us and that uh, we have forgiveness through your son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're able to live out uh, here in this dispensation of grace, which you uh, desire for us to do. And so we pray that uh, each one of us would be mindful of that, uh, that we would take advantage of the opportunities that you present to us, and that we would uh, bring you glory uh, through our actions and, and deeds. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right, so back to Leviticus chapter 24 in verse 11. You see the law regarding... Uh, blasphemy I'll get there yet and pick it up in is this the right verse Oh, yes. Okay, so pick it up in verse, um, pick it up in verse 9. It says, And it shall be uh, Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat uh, in the holy place, for it is the most holy unto him uh, of, of the offerings of the Lord, and made by fire uh, and by a perpetual statute. And the son of the Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and uh, this son of the Israelitish woman uh, and the man of Israel strove together in the camp and the Israelitish woman uh, said er, the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed and they brought him unto Moses and his mother's name was uh, Shalomith and the daughter of Dibri and of the tribe of Dan and they put him in a ward uh, that the mind of the Lord might be showed uh, Showed them, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, "Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head." <laughs> and so you see this uh, 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 
public uh, uh, punishment that's given out here. And at the end it says, and let all the congregations stone him. And thou uh, shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as uh, as well the stranger as he hath, as, as he that is born in the land, uh, we, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, uh, shall be put to death. And so here you see the uh, it's very clear what should be done that somebody is blasphemes, right? And uh, I'm sure those that were in this congregation, as they're uh, considering what's been said here uh, concerning Stephen. This is on the table, right? And we see at the end of the chapter that that's what ends up happening. Uh, but again, notice that there is no blaspheming of Moses that's mentioned there. There is no blaspheming concerning the temple that's mentioned there or a, uh, 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 the temple or any other place where they're meeting. It's strictly for the Lord. It has nothing to do with, with anything else. And so as we get back over to uh uh, the New Testament, and looking in Matthew, we see blasphemy mentioned as well. And here it's mentioned concerning the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. And so it's interesting how this is set up here, and this is another indicator that the Holy Spirit is God. And if we were doing uh, pneumatology and looking at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we can take you to several places to prove that the Holy Spirit is God and a, a person of his own, right? Uh, but here, uh, these works, and uh, thinking of the fact here that uh, Jesus was baptized by whom when he went out to John? Or baptized with, with whom? What do you mean, with who? So Jesus went out to John, John baptized him into water. There you go. And so the Holy Spirit, and I think this is very important, and people don't often look at this. Other people might see it other ways. But I think when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, you saw him 100% acting within his human nature, right? What, what other purpose would he have had to come and take on a body? He's living this life out in his human nature. And those things that you saw him do that were outside of the realm of what human beings could do was through the Holy Spirit. And that's why he baptized him to do what he did. It's kind of interesting. People talk about, well, what was Jesus doing uh, when he was a kid? I've seen these stories where uh, a bird died and he wouldn't heal the bird and the bird <laughs> flew away. And, uh, you saw Jesus making quick ways for Joseph to get his work done where he didn't have no, that, that's nonsense. I think Jesus lived a very normal life from the time he was born, except for the fact that he had knowledge that was a little bit above the average person, right? And so you don't start seeing miracles occur until after he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so here we see him do a work, right? And he's going to kind of validate what I'm telling you here because he's going to attribute the blasphemy for which they're blaspheming to what? They're blaspheming. The Holy Spirit. And so pick this up in um, verse 22. It says, Then, uh, then was brought uh, unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. 
And all the people were amazed and said, is this not the son of David? And so why does, why does he do these miracles? Is it just a, oh, this is some nice trick that I can do? No, it's to draw people's attention to this man that you see standing before you is more than a man. And to draw, draw your attention to who uh, that was coming from. And this causes them to, to ponder, is this the one that we've been waiting on? Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And so they're saying that he's doing this by what power, right? What is the power behind how he's, he's making these things happen? It's from the devil, right? He's the one that's causing them to be able to do this. In verse 25, and Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Uh, now, I've seen people take these bumpers, a lot of sports fans. Uh, these Some in Florida here, where you've got a, a Florida State fan in one house and, uh, and a Florida fan in the same house, and they say a house divided, right? That against itself shall not stand. Well, this is a little bit bigger than that, right? Uh, and verse 26, And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the spirit of, excuse me, of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So he gives them very clear. I mean, it's just put out there very clearly. If you're saying that this is true, that I'm casting out devils by the devil, doesn't make logical sense, right? Because I'm saying I'm doing this in the name of the Lord and, and positive things are happening as a result of it. Why would the devil be working against himself? It doesn't make any sense. But if it's true, what I'm saying to you, that I'm casting these devils out and I'm giving other people the authority to do the same thing and they're doing this right before you, the kingdom is right before you and you're totally ignoring it, right? And so we see this here. Verse 29 or else, how can one enter a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil the house? He that is not with, uh, with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. They're attributing the work that he's doing to Satan when it's the Holy Spirit that's doing it. And so what are they doing? They're besmirching the name of the Holy Spirit, who is God, right? And so here you see another evidence that blasphemy is not of men. Blasphemy is of God, right? Uh, and so we see that here. Uh, and so I put in my note here, the irony is that the accusers over in the book of Acts are blaspheming by elevating Moses to the place where only God should be and saying that he could be blasphemed, right? They're elevating this synagogue and this uh, person, Moses, to a level that God should be. And that is what I would call blasphemy, right? <laughs> it's, it's very ironic. And so in verses 12 through 14, back over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, we're going to see here the result of this plot. And so remember, uh, these ones uh, first in the synagogue gathered together 
the synagogue of the Libertines with all of these different uh, uh, Jews from different places. And they come up with this uh, accusation, and then what are they going to do? Similar to what we've seen in other places in the book of Acts, they're going to go and stir up people, right? I think it was last week, uh, whenever the pastor was out, we were looking at, I uh, can't remember where in Acts, but this um, event where they went and got these uh, uh, people that were gathered at the marketplace, and said, we're going we're gonna to gather these people together to come and say that Paul did such and such a thing, right? And to make these accusations against Paul. And they say, hey, we're not doing anything. Yeah, we'll go <laughs> forth and do that, right? And there are all of these uh, uh, base type people. Uh, here, uh, I, they don't mention that they're of uh, any lower class, but it's that same idea. Getting people together, right? And the more you get people to say something, the more impact it has. And you can see it easily here in our day and time now because you have a quick method of doing it with social media, right? You just fire something out there on social media, rally enough people behind you. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. And here you have your impact mob mentality. And that's what we have going on here. And so in verse 12, it says, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. So you see a lot of activity here, right? They're first of all stirring up these uh, scribes, elders, and, and the people. How? Because they're saying, this man is blaspheming Moses. And they hold Moses, obviously, up here in a very high regard. And so it has an impact on the people. And so this emotional effect on the people is what's at view in verse 12. This word for stirred up is a very, very interesting one. And you look there at the bottom of your footnotes, it's from the uh, Greek word soon kaineo, which has the idea of to move together with others, to throw into a commotion or to excite, to stir up. Uh, It has that idea of bringing people together and you're going to get this emotional connection so that you can all uh, fire forward for one cause. Now, we have this election coming up this next week, and you see a lot of this going on right now, right? Everybody's trying to rally everybody behind their causes and get everyone stir- stirred up emotionally. And they use nice buzzwords to get people to do what they want them to do. And it, it happens, honestly, on both sides of it. And so here you see it. They're stirring up these people. They're using these words that they know are going to incite people and rally them beyond, be, behind their cause. And here you go. Uh, you've got a mob that's ready to kill somebody, right? And you're going to see it at the end of uh, what uh, Stephen comes back and gives to them is very logical, right? Very, very uh, straightforward historical narrative of how God has worked over the course of time with Israel right up until where they're standing right now. And they don't accept that. It causes them to react uh, even more emotionally because the truth uh, can't be heard in this circumstance. But here you see this idea of stirring up people. And so they they move them together. My definition of it would be uh, to move. uh, The word provides the um, base meaning of moving together. In the context, rather than a physical movement, is the idea of emotions of one being aroused combined with the body to spur an individual to action. And so uh, what do we say here is the unique thing for believers? And I've said this many times before as you go to the book of Hebrews. A believer 
does not any longer have to be dictated by his emotions, right? We don't have to be driven by what our feelings are. We can properly diagnose things and look at them from a spiritual perspective and then let our spirit govern how our emotions react. What you see with people is unless they have a predisposition <laughs> to being able to logically look at things, many times emotions are going to take over, right? And this is what you see with these individuals here. We're talking about the scribes. <laughs> They're supposed to be the, the uh, studiers of the law. They're supposed to be ones that spend nothing but their time all, all day long studying and understanding law. And yet what's happening here? They hear one thing. And it's causing them to act, right? Emotional. We see the people here and this group of individuals who are stirred up in it. You see the people, and, and this is seen as a collective of those that are influenced within Israel. Uh, they are uh, targets of the influence from the Jewish leadership. And so we've talked about this before, uh, this battle that's going on throughout the book of Acts for who's going to influence the people of Israel. Uh, we see the elders as ones appointed uh, in Israel to assist in the keeping of the orderly conduct amongst the nation. And so these, uh, just like you have elders uh, within the church, there were elders within uh, Israel that were uh, uh, tasked with keeping that order. And then you have the scribes, those who are held as experts concerning the law. And so these should have been groups, maybe not the people, but when you talk about the scribes and the elders, these should have been the ones that we're looking at this thing from a very black and white perspective, right? Did Stephen break the law? Did he do anything to blaspheme God? This should have been the question that they're asking themselves. And yet you're going to see that it gets very much away from that. The next thing what we see is the capture. And so in verse 12, it says uh, they caught him. There's really here this idea. Uh, I believe the word is harpazo. Uh, yeah, soon harpazo. They seized him together. And so our word for rapture, right? Uh, what's going to happen when we're caught up together in the heavens? People don't like to uh, admit to the rapture being in scripture, but it's, it's there, I assure you. Uh, but here, soon uh, harpazo. Caught up together. So they seized him together with one accord and they uh, brought him uh, toward this, uh, uh, toward the Sanhedrin. Uh, that word for counsel there is our, our word for Sanhedrin, and we've looked at that before. Now, in verses 13 and 14, we see the enlistment of these false witnesses, and we alluded to this a second ago. Uh, and this is going to go beyond your, you guys' notes, but we'll, we'll get these completed into you uh, next week. Uh, but this idea here of false witnesses looks at uh, these pseudo, you've heard the word pseudo in the English, right? Uh, a pseudo, uh, I'm trying to think of one, <laughs> nothing's coming to me right now. Uh, pseudonym, there you go. <laughs> and give me another one. Pseudo. <laughs> Come on, Andrea, <laughs> pull them out of there. There you go. Yeah. Pseudo apostles. But it's that idea of something being fake, right? An imposter, not real. You might have a, a real thing over here, and then you have a pseudo thing over here. Uh, if we had a TV, uh, some might say this is a good brand, right? Some might say there are other brands that are better. So I, I wouldn't say this is a pseudo TV. It works, right? But it's like a, replica? a replica. There you go. Well, a replica is, is supposed to be kind of a, a match of that thing that was originally made. 
but oh, how about a fake chain or a fake leather? Pleather, we used to call it when I was growing up, right? Some people would have nice leather jackets. Other people would have these imposter leather jackets that weren't real. And so here you see with these witnesses, they bring before false witnesses that are not telling the truth, right? They're coming and saying that they saw things happen that they never saw happen. They're lying. And so uh, you see this happen all throughout um, uh, really the book of Acts when they catch these people up. Uh, but let's take a, just a quick detour and look at some of these instances that we see these uh, false witnesses come uh, and some of the things that are said regarding false witnesses in other places. Now, back in the Old Testament, it is against the law of Moses who they're saying they're holding up here, right? <laughs> they're holding up Moses because he's the one that delivered the law to us. He's up here. Moses is our hero. And guess what? They're acting contrary to the law of Moses because it was illegal, according to the law, to bring false witness against your brother. Go with me to uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. Exodus chapter 20. And verse 16. Now, this is right in the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, and very, very clear to see. Uh, verse 12, it says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon their land, or upon the land, and which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now they're about to break two of these laws, right? Because they're going to unjustly kill Stephen due to the fact that they bore false witness against him. They were following the law. None of these things would have taken place. Uh, but we see, again, sometimes people's fervor supersedes what the law says. We see the consequences of bearing false witness prescribed in the law over in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 16. Pick it up in verse uh, 12 or verse 11. It says, but if any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait for him and rise up against him and smite him mortally that he die and fleeth into one of these cities, uh, then the elders of his city shall send him or, or shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Thine eye shall not pity him, but thy uh, but thou shalt put him away, or put away the guilt, guilty of innocent blood from Israel, that he may go, that it may go well with thee. Verse fourteen: Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they uh, of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God uh, giveth thee to possess. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity. Or uh, for any sin, if any sin that's, uh, that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. 
If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which uh, shall be in those days. And the judges uh, shall make uh, diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be false, and hath uh, testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So, uh, so, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you, and thou uh, which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but thy, uh, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. You see, <laughs> well, <laughs> you see that. So this idea of, of false witnesses against your brother is serious business, right? This is not anything that they should have been taking lightly. And in order to get what they want accomplished, they're willing to set up people that are lying. <laughs> We're going to see they're lying. It has nothing to do with truth or pursuit of the truth. It has to do with getting an end accomplished. Somebody's in my way, and I'm going to remove them out of my way by any means necessary. Very unfortunate here for Israel. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, we see the Lord stated false witness originates from the heart that is filled with evil reasonings. And now if you guys will hearken back to the conference there a couple of week, uh, weeks, a couple of years ago, I did a paper on uh, this word for reasonings here. And it's our word for imaginations or this place where ideas are conceived and played out in the mind. But Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19 And let's start at verse 10. It says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant uh, which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Uh, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Do, you not, uh, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth into, or in, at the mouth goeth into the belly, and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the mouth proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. These are things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not the man. And so this idea here of evil thoughts is not the word for thoughts as you think about it. It's the word for imaginations. It's place inside of your mind where these thoughts come in, right? And you start thinking through, hmm, what would that be like to do such and such a thing? 
and you can see it all playing out in your mind. And a lot of times it happens so quickly, right? And we look at that process of sin over there in the book of James in, in, in chapter one. And it seems like, boy, the way he describes it, this is a long drawn out process. But a lot of times these things just happen very quickly in your mind, right? And uh, here we see uh, in this imaginations that these false witnesses can originate there. And so what happened with these people over in the book of Acts? Here they're presented with an opportunity, right? We need you to come and say that Stephen did such and such a thing. Here was an opportunity for them to say, no, that's not true. I'm not going to do that. But no, they're not. They're more than willing to carry through with it and to uh, bear false witness against Stephen. Over in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 18, we also see that it, this blasphemy is, uh, or false witness, excuse me, is mentioned in the list of commandments the Lord gave the rich man to keep in order to enter into life. Acts chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 18. And we can pick it up at verse 16. It says there, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do? <laughs> Here's an interesting thing with Israel, right? What shall I do? <laughs> Back to Acts chapter 19. It's always about something that they can bring to the table. And it seems like a, just a small thing, right? We want to do something to be satisfying and pleasing to God. But the only way that we truly can is to understand that there's nothing we can do. And they always start from the place of being able to provide something to God or we bring value to God. It's interesting as you uh, work within, even within the ministry where I work, right? It's all about business and the bottom line. What value do you bring to the business, <laughs> right? And if you don't bring value to the business, then there's no place for you in the business. This is not the same thing with God. We're not looking to prove our value to God. He already knows, as the pastor affectionately likes to say, I'm no good, you're no good, none of us are any good. And I uh, listened to the illustration and it makes a lot of sense. And this is where I got to seeing things clearly as far as election is concerned. When you look at the fact that it's a whole bucket of rotten apples, <laughs> which God indiscriminately went out and chose some out of that batch just for his purposes and said, you know what, I'm going to clean up these apples and make them look very nice, right? These other ones, well, <laughs> I'm not going to use. But these ones here, I'm going to use. And it's not that these apples here are any less rotten than those apples that are in that bucket. They're all rotten. You just got <laughs> the grace to be able to be selected for his purpose. And so we see that here. You can't start from a place of what shall I do? And this is what this guy does. Uh, and interesting the way the Lord handles it. In verse 17, it says, And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thy, that thou shalt love thy, thy neighbor as thyself. Now, it's, it's interesting how all of these that he mentions here are kind of working together and how one person treats another person, right? 
you've got don't murder somebody, right? That's very clear. You don't want to kill somebody. You're not treating somebody good if you kill them. But then this idea of loving your brother, not committing adultery, that's an offense against another person, right? Um, uh, thou shalt not steal, uh, again, dealing with another person. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's dealing with another person. Uh, and honor thy father and mother. Uh, kids aren't here, but uh, sometimes that's not as easy to do, right, <laughs> for, for the children when they're put in that position. But again, dealing with another person. Uh, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. These all working together. Verse 20, uh, the young man saith unto him, all these I have kept from my youth, what, le- yet, what yet lacketh I? Verse 21, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt treasure, have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when uh, the young man heard that, that saying, he went away sorrowful or grieving, for he had great possessions, right? <laughs> it was more important for him to maintain those possessions than to uh, go into life that he said that he wanted. Uh, but you see this idea here of, of, again, false witness being a very serious thing. It's named what the, the commandments should, that should be kept in order to enter into life uh, by the Lord in this context. And then lastly, uh, and we'll close out here, uh, over in Matthew Chapter 26 and verse 59, we see the path pursued by the Jewish leadership in order to accuse the Lord was what? They're going to enlist people to bear false witness against him in order to bring the purpose that they desire to happen. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 59. And we can pick it up at verse 57. But suffice it to say that this method that's being used currently by the leadership of Israel is not new, right? It's something that they've used over and over again. It's something that we'll see moving forward in the book of Acts. Every time they want to persecute someone from the church, they lie against them, right? Or they use some false witness, and then they go about to get their purpose accomplished. But in verse 47, it says, no, not verse 47, I meant 57, (laughs) would have been reading for a while it says and they uh, had laid when they had laid hold on Jesus they led him away to Caiaphas the high priest where the scribes and the elders sound familiar were assembled but Peter followed him from afar uh, from afar uh, off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end now the chief priests and elders in council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death now, if you go through the whole uh, anatomy of, what, of what's going on with him, they're already in a, an illegal meeting, right? They're not even supposed to be holding this kind of a meeting at nighttime, and yet they're doing it, and they're going to go into a, a uh, underhanded way of trying to get accusers against him, right? They're willing to have anybody come forth, anybody, to say anything that is negative to get their purpose accomplished, in verse 60, it says, but found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet uh, found they none uh, at the last two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, they are lying. He never said that. He said, destroy this temple, the temple of my body, 
and I will raise it in three days. Uh, but you see, again, when you want to accomplish something, lying doesn't matter. In verse 62, And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is this which these witnesses say against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, and thou tell us whether thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And so this has nothing to do with the accusation that was just made against him, right? He's just trying to bait him into saying what he wants him to say to get his purpose accomplished. But again, that's this idea, we don't want to get too far away from it, of false witnesses, right? It can be very damaging. You see it all the time. People smear people's reputations just because they lie, and that lie gets out. What is my father, from uh, what his father told him, a lie can get all the way around the world before truth has the opportunity to get his pants on, right? And there's nothing you can do. Think about some of the things people say against people. If you go out and call somebody a pedophile or something this day and time, their life is going to be ruined. They'll never be able to, even if you come back and say after the fact, oh, that wasn't true. <laughs> I didn't say that. But that person's reputation has already been ruined. You can't get it back. And here you have the same thing of how they're acting here, right? They want so badly to be right over Stephen that they're willing to besmirch his name, right? And to have him to die for nothing. And we'll see that play out over the course of chapter 7. So going back uh, over to Acts and we'll close out here. And so in Acts chapter 6 and verse 13, I had thought I was going to get through this chapter today, but I guess we'll get through it next week. I guarantee next week we will get through <laughs> Acts chapter 6 and start at Acts uh, chapter 7. But it says in uh, verse 13, and they set up false witnesses which said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. See this accusation again? Very similar to the one that they were making against Jesus when they wanted him dead, right? He said he's going to destroy the temple, right? He never said he was going to destroy the temple. He said... The temple will be destroyed. <laughs> That's going to happen, right? He said, the temple of my body, you will destroy, and I will raise it up in three days. But never did he say, I am going to destroy the temple. And I suspect never did Stephen say such a thing either, right? But truth doesn't matter when you're trying to get your purpose accomplished. And we'll come back to that next week. Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful that we have had believers uh, in the past that are willing uh, to stand on the truth of your word and the truth of who they are in Christ, uh, that they might set the example uh, for all of us who uh, live this life in Christ. Uh, we are privileged to live in this place where we live today because we don't uh, necessarily face the threat of bodily harm and of uh, uh, continual persecution and opposition uh, to what we're trying to accomplish. But we are uh, always ready uh, for the fact that that could happen and uh, appreciative of the fact that it isn't. We pray that as we live out these lives, that uh, being that we do have a, a life of uh, uh, relative ease, uh, of 
that which the church had to live through in, in scripture as we're uh, not facing that opposition that we would take advantage of it father and to, uh, be able to be a light to those that are in the world that can't see we're grateful for all these things for it's in your son's name we pray amen